Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day, all you dads. That sounds different when I say Happy Mother's Day, all you mothers. It just doesn't come out right when you say it like that. But dads, you know, Happy Father's Day, all you dads. Just, I love that. Happy Father's Day, all you dads. Are you, hey, how many of you guys, you dads, how many of y'all like to build stuff? Yeah? Tools? Craftsmen? Like Sears, Home Depot, Lowe's, favorite stores? Some builders in the house this morning? I like to build stuff too. Now, let's be honest with each other. Dads, we oftentimes start our building projects without a plan, don't we? Right? I mean, I think what I'm going to do is uh, put some shelves up in the garage and uh, some cabinets along that wall, build myself a workbench. And you go down to Home Depot or Lowe's, your favorite store, you buy all your lumber and your stuff, you bring it home, and you make 27 more trips before the project is over. Because you never planned how you were going to build your building project, right? But you got your tools, and, and if anytime you can have a project that allows you to buy a new tool, right, that's like a project you're in on, right, immediately. If it requires new tools, it jumps to the top of the building project list. I, and by, none of this has anything to do with our message today, really, other than the fact that we're, we're just, I'm just being a dad, right? I'm just being honest about dads. But we're building a dream whenever we build one of those building projects, right? Nothing happens without first a dream. You have to conceptualize that thing that you want, those shelves, those cabinets, that new kitchen, the tile you're going to lay down in the bathroom, or the way that you're going to put the outdoor uh, kitchen on, on your patio, or whatever it is you're doing, whether it's landscaping, whether it's masonry work, whether it's woodworking, whatever building project you're into. Some of you guys are building cars and motorcycles. Whatever you build. You don't build without first having that dream, that vision for what it is you want to build, to achieve. And God has a vision. He has a dream. He has a purpose for every single person, for every one of us. We all have a God-given dream, a purpose that he has placed us on earth to fulfill. He has a dream for us. He has a dream for you. And God's dream for you is a big old dream. God doesn't dream small. He dreams big. And when he dreamed up your purpose, he dreamed up you, and he made you with specific intent, and he planted you at this time in history. Because think about it. God could have put you anywhere in the span of history, right? You could have been all the way back in the, in the very beginning, and we don't know, we could be at the end, but you could be one of these babies that's on their way. You could be anywhere in history, but God planted you right now in all of history. And by the way, I think we're living in some very interesting times. I'm grateful to be here now. And that here is another thing. See, God could have planted you anywhere in the world. He could have put you on any continent, in any state, in any city, in any neighborhood, but he planted you where he did specifically in history and also geographically. God could have put you around any group of people. You could have been in any family. You ever heard it said that you can choose your friends, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family? It's true. You can't pick your family. God picked your family for you. He decided who you needed to be around because of his purpose for you. They would shape in some way 
that purpose, that dream being lived out and accomplished. So God has planted each one of us here, now, around one another with specific intent and purpose. And that purpose is to build the dream that he has for you. And so that's the purpose of this series that we're in. We're in week five out of a series from the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is in the Old Testament, and it's really the memoirs of this dream-building guy. He was a captive Jew. He grew up in a land 800 miles away from where he should have been in Jerusalem. And he grew up there because his ancestors were captured like 100 years before. And so he was born into captivity, and he was serving in the king's palace. He was the wine taster, the wine server for the king. He basically had to sample the king's food and drink before the king ate it to see if it was poisoned. But because of his position, God placed him there with specific intent. Because of that position, he had access to the king. And so when God revealed to him, when he planted in him this dream of going back to Jerusalem and rebuilding all of its broken downness because the city's walls had been destroyed and the temple had been destroyed and that protective wall around the city was crucially important. So God planted that dream. That was Nehemiah's purpose. And because of his positioning, he was able to get the king not only to give him permission but also to fund the dream. So God commissioned Nehemiah. He gave him the dream, the purpose. God provisioned Nehemiah through King Artaxerxes, his captive king, captor king. And Nehemiah went off to go and build the dream that God had planted in his heart. Now, dream building is not an easy thing. And some of us have already encountered this in our lives. See, I think every one of us is is living this life seeking significance. We all want our lives to matter. If you don't want your life to matter, you're probably not here this morning. But if you are here this morning and you're not sure why and you're just kind of, you know, bopping through life and you really don't care if you make any impact, any difference, or if your life matters beyond your next breath, then let me tell you it does. Your life matters. You have significance. Most of us spend our lives seeking that significance, looking for the dream that God has for us, trying to find that purpose to fulfill. Nehemiah's purpose was discovered, but Nehemiah ran into some trouble along the way. You've probably run into some trouble along the way as you've sought to go and build that dream. You find that dream building isn't easy. It requires some character. Building the dream is a character building thing too, but you've got to have some character when you come into that process of building the dream. And I want us to discover some of this character, and I want us to discover the dream that God has for you as we go through this series and build the dream together. Some of the character traits that Nehemiah has shown us over the first couple of chapters, some of the character traits that you and I need to have if we're going to pursue and build the dream that God has for us. Passion. You need to be passionate about the dream. God's planted that dream in your heart. When that dream comes to light, when you discover his individualized, God-sized dream for you, it should burn inside of you. You should have passion for that dream. That's one of the ways that you can begin to identify whether it's, a, as I say, a, a God dream or a Todd dream. Because we've talked about if I run off and try to build all of the ideas that come into my head, if I think those are God-given dreams, every single one of them, I will oftentimes chase after the wrong stuff. But what you have passion about over time is something that you can maybe, that's a, that's a beginning stage of identifying whether or not it might be God's dream. Nehemiah had great passion. When he heard about the wall in Jerusalem, Nehemiah wept. He cried. It broke his heart. He was passionate 
about this wall. You got to be patient. Nehemiah displayed incredible patience. He learned about the wall somewhere in the late fall, around November. He didn't go before the king to try to get the king to kind of give him permission and provision for the journey, for the building of the dream, until like March. It took him months to prepare just for the beginning stages, the beginning steps of his individualized God-sized dream. Got to have patience if we're going to build God's dreams. We got to be willing to do the prep work. Nehemiah, when he set out, he arrived at the city of Jerusalem, and he had to, to go and scout out the wall. He rode around the city. He was there for three days before he ever let anybody know that he was there or what he was up to. He was scouting out. He was preparing for the work. And then from the preparation, he formed a plan, gentlemen, a plan. Yes, I hate to read the instructions even when I write them, but we got to have a plan if we're going to build God's dream. And Nehemiah was persistent. Part of the problem that many of us have is we don't possess some of these character qualities, these character traits, or we don't apply them in the pursuit of God's dreams like we apply them in the pursuit of our own. Nehemiah's persistence came when Nehemiah faced some naysaying knuckleheads, is what I have nicknamed them, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, these guys that came against him. They were negative about what Nehemiah was doing. They were negative about the dream that God had planted in Nehemiah, and they attempted to kind of head him off, to block him, to keep him from doing it. And Nehemiah persevered through those problematic people. He did not let the naysayers drag him into any kind of a distraction. He stayed true to his purpose and built the dream. He moved from a captive to the captain of God's dream for him. He built his team and he began to build the wall. And last week we talked about how as Nehemiah delegated all of the the doing, the building of the dream to the people of Jerusalem. He had built this team. He had shared his vision. They were on board, and they began to do the work together. And now we're going to pick up in Nehemiah chapter 4 with verses 1 through 3. We're going to find out what happened next as the wall began to be built. When Sanballat, one of the naysaying knuckleheads, heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on that wall would break it down. Even a fox climbing up on their wall of stones would break it down. You ever encountered people like these? If you ever went to elementary school, you probably did. These are the playground bullies of your life and mine. I can tell you who the playground bullies were, and you can probably tell me who they were for you. And as you progress through life, those bullies took on maybe different names, different faces. But the bullying never really stops. These guys are full-grown Adults and the bullying, the naysaying, the negativity. Whenever somebody goes to build a dream, there will be somebody there to try and destroy the dream. Wherever there is a dream builder, there will be a dream destroyer. You can think about as you have built your dream, just as you have built your life, 
Maybe you've not even discovered your dream or not sure that you're building the right dream right now. But even as you just go through life, you've run into these guys. Here's what they do. They use intimidation. Check out what, what these guys did. Intimidation. They ridiculed. They did it in the presence of their associates and the army of Samaria. They're trying to intimidate Nehemiah. They're trying to intimidate Nehemiah's team that he has built. They called them feeble. I mean, they're just lobbing names. It's, I mean, it really is like being on the playground, isn't it? Those feeble Jews. They're just calling names. Will they finish in a day? Even a fox climbing up on it would break it down. They use intimidation. They gang up on you. They get consensus or a group. They start out as one or two or three. Then they tell their friends. And then the next thing you know, you got the whole playground calling you names and making fun of what you're doing. So they use intimidation. They move on to exaggeration. Exaggeration like even a fox would break that stupid wall down. That's just silly. Look at those feeble Jews. Building a wall that even a fox would break it down. <laughs> Could they build it in a day? <laughs> Did Nehemiah ever say that he was going to build the wall in a day? He never said that. Nehemiah never made a claim that he could build the wall back in a day. But these guys want to use intimidation and exaggeration to break the will, to destroy the dream. They're bullies. What did Nehemiah do with these bullies? The same thing that he had been doing for the last several months as they came against him. Verse 4, he prays, Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half of its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Okay, first and foremost, are Christians even allowed to pray like that? I mean, what did he pray? Hear us, O God, for we're despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder. He basically says, make them like I've been. I was a slave before I got here. You know what? Send these naysaying knuckleheads into slavery somewhere. Let them be captured. Get them out of my way. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins. Basically, Nehemiah is calling down a curse. I reread that verse like several times. I was going... I don't know if that's fair. I mean, is that Old Testament? Is that New Testament? What would Jesus do, right? I learned a new word this week, too, as I studied this. I'm not trying to impress anybody. I'm telling you, I learned this word this week. Imprecatory. That's an imprecatory prayer. If you're a, if you're a, a guy like me that remembers lots of useless information, put that word on your frontal lobe. Imprecatory prayers are prayers of curse. It's a prayer where you, you know what? The book of Psalms is full of them. I say full of them. There's several. David prayed like this sometimes about his enemies. You know what? I think God gives us the ability to pray like this. I think he gives us the freedom to pray like this. But I think what we find in the New Testament is that Jesus kind of shifted gears. Now, we are told to pray for our enemies. You know, the Bible says we should pray for, I'm not sure these are the kinds of prayers that we should be praying today. I think we should be praying for their salvation, praying for them to get their hearts and their minds aligned with God's purpose for their dream, why they are here. But I just wanted to point that out because I thought it was a cool word, imprecatory. So anyway, Nehemiah prayed like that, but he didn't let that stop the building. See, that's the point right here in verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till it reached half of its height. And maybe you're not very impressed by the wall being half of its height, roughly four and a half miles that the wall would have been. I don't care if half its height was a foot high. That's a lot of building, ladies and gentlemen. 
There's some stone being slung. There is some mortar being slapped down. There's a lot of sweat. There's a lot of blood. I'm going to bet there were some tears. There were some long hours, some late nights, some early mornings, some sore backs. Work got done in the midst of the naysayers, the knuckleheads, and the dream destroyers trying to divert the dream from ever becoming a reality. That's an impressive wall. That's an impressive feat just to build it part way. To do it under duress, under pressure, under attack from this enemy. Nehemiah had focus. He used that passion, the purpose. He had his preparedness and his plan. He led his team. He delegated, remember, to his team very strategically so that they would stay focused because they were building the section of the wall that was in front of their house or their place of business or something significant to them. They were building God's dream right there in their own neighborhood. Might not have been God's dream for them. It was God's dream for Nehemiah. It was his specific purpose. They were part of the team, and they built the dream as part of his team because it mattered to them personally. When I look at the size of that wall and I think about the scope of this building project, it makes me stop for a moment and be a little bit introspective with myself. I want to ask you to do the same. Ask yourself an important question here. What is it that you're building? What are you building? What dream are you building? Maybe, like I said, you've not discovered yet God's individualized, God-sized dream for you. Some of us go years not discovering those dreams. But God also has a collective dream for all of us together as his church. He wants us to build the church. I'm not talking about buildings and land and bricks and sticks and all of that. I'm talking about people. The church is people. Jesus gave us some very specific instructions. He told us to love God and love others. The great commandment, right? Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's the greatest commandment. Love others. Love your neighbor as yourself is like it. And the last thing he told us before he ascended into heaven was to go and make disciples, go make followers of Jesus. Bring them into the fold, into the family, into the church. We're to build the church. That's the collective dream that God has for all of us, to go outside of these walls into that community and to share the good news of Jesus and to build his church. What are you building? Are you building your individual personal, specific dream? Are you building the collective dream? Or have you allowed naysayers and negative people, dream stealers, to get in the way of God's purpose for you? Is what you're building bigger than yourself? It's another great question to ask. Are you building something that is bigger than you? Are you building something like that wall that you look at and you go, uh, I can't do that. That's too big for me. Because if you're building something that you can build by yourself, you're not building a God dream. God's dreams for us are bigger than what we can do on our own. You've got to build the team to build God-sized dreams. You've got to have people around you working with you, working for you, sometimes leading you as you lead others. What you need more than anything is God. If you can build it without Him, it's not of Him. What are you building? So while they were building... Guess what else was going on? While the Jews were building the wall to half its height, guess what else was happening? The naysaying knuckleheads had not gone away. They continued to do their work. 
almost said they continued to do their worst, but I'm not sure we've arrived at that point yet. They continued to do their work. They went out recruiting. They figured the three of them had not accomplished what they needed to yet. So they went and recruited another group of people. See, these three represented groups of people, populations around the city of Jerusalem. And they went and recruited the people of Ashdod, another group of people. And they represented the fourth area around Jerusalem. And so now, Nehemiah and the Jews are fully surrounded by enemies, people in opposition to God's dream of the wall being rebuilt. They're fully surrounded. And, and the people in Jerusalem, the Jews, they, they hear that, that this has happened, and they hear that there is a plan for these four different groups of people to come and attack Jerusalem. wonder how that got leaked. Wonder, wonder how that plan, that battle plan, got leaked out to the people of Jerusalem. Do you think the naysaying knuckleheads might have just lobbed that one over the wall for them? Just a little bit more intimidation, just a little bit more fear, just a little bit more interference in your dream-building endeavor, and it worked. It began to intimidate Nehemiah's team. Let's read verses 10 through 12. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. There's so much rubble, we cannot rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them. And we will kill them and put an end to the work. Verse 12, the key verse here. The Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, Nehemiah, wherever you look, they're going to attack us there. They're coming from all four sides. They're, they're all around us. There's no escape. Ah, we're afraid. Now who's exaggerating? Wherever you go, they're going to get us. See, the, the negativity, the trouble has transferred. When they couldn't get Nehemiah to stop building, when they could not distract him, when they could not use exaggeration and intimidation to stop the dream, they went after the team. They couldn't get the leader, so they went after his team. I'll tell you, as, as we've built Elevation Church, there's been a lot of distractors. There's been a lot of distractions. I've even had a few people who have, you know, kind of tried to come against me a little bit, had a few things to say about what we're doing, about how we're doing it, about where we're doing it. There have been some people who would like to steal this dream. Crazy as that sounds, it's true. And a couple of times I've been tempted to get distracted and get off course. Fortunately, I knew this story, and I come back and read Nehemiah when that stuff happens, and, and I pray and I try to follow what Nehemiah did and, and be the man that God has called me to be, the leader he's prepared me to be. And so far, all of those things have come from the outside. But I'll tell you, I'm looking for the day, and I'm preparing for the day, when those attacks, when that negativity transfers to somebody within the team. It's going to happen. That's how the enemy works. If you can't get the leader off course, if you can't distract him, he'll distract somebody on the team and try to get the negativity to transfer over, try to get the trouble to transfer over. And if he can get the team off the dream, remember, I can't build it alone. You can't build it alone. Whatever dream you're building, you can't build it alone. You need God, and most likely you need other people in the process. And if the enemy can distract the team, he can at least slow down, disable the dream, or at least the building of that dream. You've got to watch out for who you listen to. Be careful what conversations you enter into, what people you surround yourself with. 
if you surround yourself, as Jerusalem was surrounded, with negative, naysaying, dream-stealing people, they will infiltrate. They will steal the dream. They'll either get you off course or they'll get your team off course. As we build Elevation Church, be careful about the people that you listen to. If they have negativity to say about this church, what we're doing, where we are, what we're about, about me as a leader, about the team of people that are leading in this church with me, check their heart. Check their agenda. Find out who they serve, what purpose they're in pursuit of. Because I would be willing to go out on the longest limb and give you a saw and say, saw me off, baby, if I'm wrong. Because I think if you check that, you're going to find that they don't serve the purposes that you're serving. They don't believe the things that you believe. They're not aligned with what God is doing in your heart, in your life, in this church, in this community. They've got their own agenda, and they're serving something or someone else. Just check those things. You know what? If you can run their negative stuff through that grid and it comes out on the other side clean, come talk to me about it. Ask me any question you want to ask me ever about Elevation Church, leadership, me personally, whatever. I'm cool with that. I'm not going to try to hide, but I would be willing to bet before you ever get to me with any of that stuff, you'll find that, that the grid of truth filters out those negative naysaying people and their comments, their words, their actions, whatever it is they're trying to plant in you. Negativity is contagious. It can take hold in a hurry. And when negativity takes hold in the building of a dream, then the dream goes cold. When negativity takes hold, the dream will go cold. So as a leader, as a dream builder yourself, as you build your individual dream, as you build this collective dream, when you see, when you hear, when you experience negativity, you have to do something about that negativity. you got to check it, like I just said. Make sure, see if it filters out. If it doesn't, blow it off, ignore it, move on. In the process of blowing it off and ignoring it and moving on, though, check and see if it's filtering out to other people. If it is, then you have to be proactive about that. You've got to put a stop to it. You really need to deal with the person, the individual, who's bringing that negativity to the party. And if they don't receive that intervention, that correction, that rebuke, whatever you want to call it well, if they don't agree, if you know what, y'all come see me about it. And we'll deal with it. We'll get it out on the table. And I, I, I'm cool with that. I, I don't mind hearing challenges and questions and, and even negative comments if we can deal with them as adults and move on from them. And you should follow that same principle. You'll find it, by the way, in Matthew chapter 18. Deal with, that, deal with negativity in your dream building experience with that same principle, and you'll find that you'll build more alignment with your team. You might add an enemy as a friend in the process of dealing with those negative naysayers that way. When the negativity takes hold, the dream grows cold. Who do you listen to? Who do they serve? How do you handle it? Now you know. You check their agenda. You check their heart. You don't let the dream get into jeopardy. Never let the dream get into jeopardy. Deal with the negativity. Take that action. Nehemiah chapter 4 verses 13 to 18. We're going to find out what action our boy Nehemiah took as this negativity came and interfered or tried to interfere with his dream. 
He says, therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. So Nehemiah identified where the weaknesses were in the perimeter, in the defenses, and that's where he concentrated his defenses. And remember, he, he had the people building the wall near their homes, and now he has them defending the wall in those places that are most near and dear to them. And they have weapons. They're prepared. Verse 14, after I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. So Nehemiah thwarted the plan. He heard about the negativity. I'm pretty sure somebody brought that to his attention. I'll bet the naysaying knuckleheads didn't send him a a carrier pigeon or a scroll wrapped around a stone thrown over the wall or whatever to let him know what they were up to. Somebody on the team heard that negativity. They knew they couldn't deal with the naysaying knuckleheads in a personal way. So they went to Nehemiah. They brought it to his attention. Nehemiah countered it with a plan. He put people in place in the weak areas. He gave them instructions on how to defend. Then we find that Nehemiah inspected it. He delegated that to them, and then he inspected what was going on. When he saw that the plan was in place and it looked like it was going to work, he told everybody, let's not be afraid of these guys. We're prepared. God's called us. He's given us a mission. We have a purpose to fulfill. Let's not get called off the wall to deal with naysaying knuckleheads. Let's go back to work. Verse 16, from that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears and shields and bows and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall, and those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. I love it. These guys are so committed to the building project. They're so committed to the dream They're carrying a spear or a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other hand or a big old block of stone in the other hand. These guys, these girls are going to work. How do we respond? How do you respond in reality when you face all of these struggles, these trials, these negative naysayers, the the troubles that come when you're fully engaged with building your dream? Because I believe that many of us, as I said in the beginning of this message today. Walk through this life seeking significance. We want to know what our purpose is. We want to know that our lives matter for more than just the next breath. There's got to be some purpose for me being here. And we pursue that purpose in all kinds of different areas. We pursue fame and fortune. We want money and things. We seek relationships. We pursue just doing good things, being charitable and and, and all of these wonderful. We might even pursue the dream by going to church. Good things, but all of these good things are not necessarily God's thing. They're not necessarily God's purpose, His plan for you. And so you can run into these naysayers. You can run into these troubles while you pursue knowing what that dream is, and also while you pursue building that dream once you've identified it. How do you deal with those negative things? Well, Nehemiah, he got proactive and he got reactive. And I think that's a great 
philosophy for us to follow. It's a great plan for each one of us. We should be proactive. We should prepare for these things to come against us. We should prepare for negative people. You've encountered them all your life. Why should now be any different? You've encountered them in business. You've encountered them within your family. You've encountered them on the road just trying to get to work or going out to eat. I mean, there's some negative naysaying people out on the road, right? I'm not even sure nay is what they're saying. I can't read their lips, but I'm pretty sure it's not repeatable from this platform, right? We run into them everywhere in life. So we should just be prepared for them. Know it's going to happen. People are going to come against you. They're going to try to block you. They're going to try to distract you. They're going to try to intimidate you. They're going to use exaggeration to draw you off the wall to get you to deal with some problem that isn't even necessarily a problem. They're the problem. Their agenda, who they serve, what they serve, what they want, is in opposition to what God wants for you. That's the real problem. But they want you to deal with some other thing. You've got to learn to prepare to recognize what the problem really is, prepare for how you're going to defend against it. Nehemiah sought out the weaknesses in his plan. He found the low points of the wall. And he used what was available to him to deal with the distractions. He posted men with swords, spears, shields, etc. It's interesting that it was those weapons because the Bible gives us a great description of the full armor of God. We all have armor and weapons available to us. The armor of God is something that we can put on every day and prepare for these attacks. And we're going to have a a more in-depth talk and a series about that in the not-too-distant future. But to give you a heads up, the full armor of God is what we can clothe ourselves in to protect us from these. And also, it is our offensive weapon, the sword or the spear that we can use to defend as the enemy comes against us, to attack the enemy before he ever gets to that point where he can take us off the wall. And the sword that he gives us is the word. And the word, as we've studied it through this book of Nehemiah, gives us some great instructions on how we deal with with building our dreams. Don't get called off the wall. Wherever you are in your individual dream, wherever you are in pursuit of your personal reason for living, what God has planted in you and what you and you alone are called to do, don't come off that wall. Not for any kind of distraction, not for any dream-stealing, naysaying knucklehead. When you're building the collective dream of the church, Stay focused on what you're doing. Be prepared to carry in one hand all of the materials of building. Love, truth, the gospel, happy and sincere heart, joy, a testimony of what God has done and is doing in your life. Be prepared in one hand with all of that and in the other hand with the defensive measures so when the naysaying knuckleheads come, you know how to filter out, how to deal with them directly, and how to let the leader know what's happening. Be prepared to take a stand. Because your life matters. You matter big. Bigger than a five-mile wall. Your life is not your own. It was given to you as a gift. It has an expiration date. And it has purpose behind it. Discover God's dream for you. And then be brave enough to build it.